Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salib Huber. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. Welcome to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. This week is a story session, and I'm talking to Lindsay, who at 42 is already postmenopausal. We often talk about perimenopause happening in our late 30s and early 40s, but we don't often talk about early menopause, which is when someone stops having a period, so you've gone 12 months without a period, between the ages of 40 and 45. When it happens before 40, it's called uh, premature menopause or premature ovarian failure sometimes or ovarian insufficiency. And it's often on the radar a little bit more than early menopause. Because when you're over 40 and you stop having a period, people may assume that, well, it's expected, it's normal. But we really do need to talk about it more because if you go into menopause before 45, there are some health considerations with regards to reducing the risk of osteoporosis and heart disease and even cognitive changes that really need to be happening with healthcare providers. And so I'm really excited for you to hear Lindsay's story about how things started to change for her after she had a baby, which in hindsight was in perimenopause. So listen in and listen to Lindsay's story of what changed after 40. So Lindsay, welcome to the Midlife Feast. Thank you. So Lindsay, orient us. Where, where are you at ages and stages of midlife? Oh, I am 42 and I have recently gone through menopause uh, early. So that was a surprise to me. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's been all like a very interesting journey over the last probably five to seven years for me. So at 42, you were probably, you know, really kind of taken aback by this diagnosis of menopause, because as I mentioned in the intro, early menopause is when you go, you know, when you stop having a period before the age of 45. And so the average age is 52. So most people in your life are probably still having periods, maybe still having babies. Exactly. And, and you're in this stage of life where, you know, you're postmenopausal at this point. So what surprised you about all of this? I think one of the biggest surprises for me was the lack of awareness around early menopause. And so when everything was happening to me in terms of my symptoms, I really didn't know what was going on. And mm-hmm. when I think about that in the context of uh, you know, other life changes that women go through in terms of, uh, you know, uh, puberty and then uh, having babies and breastfeeding. And I feel like those were, you know, female experiences that I was prepared for. I knew what to expect. Uh, there's whole systems around, you know, uh, making sure that, that people know, uh, what to expect and, and, uh, education and all those things where with menopause at my age, certainly 
I was just surprised that really almost nobody I know was talking about it. And even some of my older friends that, you know, are of menopausal age, I mean, I could probably, I I can actually only think of one, maybe two friends of mine who have ever said anything um, about menopause, even though uh, I know many of my friends would have gone through at least be in perimenopause and having some symptoms along with that. Yeah. And perimenopause, you know, can last eight to 10 years and often starts, you know, by 40, you know, 80, you know, I would say that 80% of women are experiencing something by 40, 42, that is like, hmm, this doesn't quite feel like it did 10 years ago. But in hindsight, because I guess in, in your case, it probably was in hindsight, what was changing and when? What were your early symptoms and signs? Like, what do you look back on now and think, oh, that's why that was happening? So one of the biggest things would be my cycles. So they definitely, uh, I was having more PMS symptoms that I had no explanation for other than, I guess the way I sort of explained them in my head was that I was no longer on birth control and no longer breastfeeding. So I was, because I was so young, uh, that was the stage of life that I was in where I had, um, I mean, I think I stopped breastfeeding when I was 37. Um, so I was, uh, and then, um, and, and I hadn't been on the pill since I was 30, Three, I guess it would have been. So yeah, so I just thought, well, I guess my period's just changing. I'm not breastfeeding anymore, all these things. So um, that was definitely the biggest, uh, the biggest indicator. And also my metabolism. So uh, weight gain definitely um, happened way easier than um, previously in my life. So in hindsight, you had a baby in perimenopause. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and so I think sometimes we like, I don't think anybody would have a 35 or 36 year old on their perimenopause no. radar because we still think of that as, you know, not peak fertility, but certainly not in the, the zone of kind of diminished mm-hmm. fertility. And yeah. So when your cycles changed after breastfeeding, mm-hmm it probably wasn't on anyone's radar that this could be going right. on. And I never That's, thought yeah. to even bring it up to my doctor or anybody. So what happened that led to this diagnosis of early perimenopause? Walk us through uh, that. So during the, the first lockdown, April, 2020, I was, I had missed a, um, uh, my pap and because of the lockdowns and I believe when my uh, nurse practitioner called, she said, you know, obviously we're gonna have to reschedule, but do you have any concerns? And I said, well, I thought I was pregnant because um, <laughs> I hadn't had a period from February until just like, right, like probably a week before my pap was supposed to happen. And, and I spoke to her. So it was, you know, um, a couple, like a month and a half to, uh, to two months where I hadn't, uh, hadn't had a cycle. Yeah. So you were already kind of noticing that things were changing and 
even when that was happening, was perimenopause on the radar? It was at that point for me because I was, I had just turned 40. And so I thought, okay, well, this makes sense. Maybe something is, is going on, um, in terms of, yeah, moving towards menopause. Yeah. And, you know, I think that for a lot of uh, people, regardless of the age that this happens, it often is that first really noticeable cycle change that prompts them to think, wait a minute, if I'm not pregnant, is this perimenopause? <laughs> because I hear that all the time. People say, oh my goodness, I've taken so many pregnancy tests in the last year. Like, is this what happens? And I think because we're so used to, if you've always had a regular cycle, you're used to that predictable rhythm of, you know, it's going to happen, maybe give or take a day or two, but you don't expect it to go weeks or months without mm -hmm. it happening. And so I think for a lot of people, and I remember the first time that I really had gone a couple of months, it, it really feels mm -hmm. different. Like you're really used to this predictable rhythm and routine of a cycle. And when it's missing, it really does feel like everything mm -hmm. is changing. And so you mentioned body changes, which we'll come back to in a second, but were there other changes or symptoms that maybe now in hindsight, you can look back and think, oh, maybe that's what was going on. Or was that really the main one that you were noticing? That was by far the main one, uh, especially so in terms of like regularity, but also in terms of symptoms. So I was getting like cramps and um, just, you know, heavier cycles, all like the the cycles themselves had changed. So it was just all around, um, yeah, all around my cycle, uh, predominantly. Yeah. And those cycle changes can be really variable. I think most people do experience a period of really heavy mm -hmm. periods. Um, you know, as estrogen is still on a roller coaster and progesterone is, is on the decline, that is often another kind of red flag. I guess that might be a pun. <laughs> I'm not sure, but you know, another sign that, wait a minute, what in the hell is going on here? Because it's, it's like crazy. Mm. Like if you've never experienced, I, I don't think there's anything that compares to that heavy flooding, which often does come with cramping and clots and just more discomfort than even people who've had painful periods um, were accustomed to. Um, in my case, I had endometriosis for most of my, you know, teens and twenties and things got really great for about five years after my kids were born where I had like mm. no pain. And then all of a sudden at 37, again, in hindsight, I started to experience a lot of pain, a lot of cramping and, you know, come to find out that, yeah, the endometriosis had come back, but I also had fibroids and I was also going through this heavy period. And, you know, it was kind of that, well, why didn't anyone tell me that right. was going to happen? Like I really should yes. have been warned that, that it was a perfect storm of hormones that was going to create a lot of mm -hmm. discomfort. And, you know, like you were saying in the beginning, we are preparing women for these ages and stages. And so, so many of the women that I talk to, this is all stuff that they realize mm -hmm. in hindsight. They're not looking for it. They're not talking about it no. with their friends because, you know, I think it's a fair statement to say that at 40, we're over talking mm -hmm. about our period, right? It's not like... <laughs> It's not anything exciting to anyone anymore. It's not what we want to talk about. It doesn't come up at book club yeah. or, you know, um, it is, it's just a, mm -hmm. a fact of life. And, uh, but I think we need to be talking about it because so many women will suffer yes. in silence and think, oh, it's just me. I, I've just got to get through this. I've just got to do this or, you know, it'll yeah. be over soon. 
But then when we talk to other people and everybody has the shared experience of, oh my God, I remember having to set like three alarms just so that I didn't like soak through the bed or I canceled going out to dinner because I wasn't sure if I could like mm-hmm. leave the house. Why are we yeah. talking about that? Like that is something that people Absolutely. Know about. And I, mine, I would say I didn't experience it maybe to that degree. Like I didn't have to set alarms or anything like that, but it was, it was just still so much more than I was used to. <laughs> And I mean, no. none of it is fun. So more of yes. it is, is less fun. <laughs> right? So you were having these changes and then your period started going AWOL. And so then you were diagnosed as being um, in early in, in menopause. So at 42, often I think m- many women fall through the cracks because at, at, if someone goes into menopause in their 30s, that's on everyone's radar mm. as it's on everyone's radar to say, oh, we need to, you know, do something about this to protect her health, you know, bones and brain and heart and to reduce the risk. But I find that when women get that diagnosis in that 40 to 45 range, they're often, they kind of mm-hmm. slip through the cracks because there's, you know, well, you're 40, you're yeah. done having kids, you know, let me know if you're not feeling well, but there really, really isn't a whole lot of discussion around perimenopause or early menopause, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to share mm-hmm. your story. Because for, you know, women need to know that if you stop having a period before 45, you need to be having conversations about hormone replacement therapy and hormone therapy to protect your health, not just reduce right. your symptoms, which is the guiding decision point for women who go into kind of normal menopause or at, a, at an average age. So, but let's circle back a little bit to the body changes because you also work in the area of health mm-hmm. and nutrition. And, and so I think most people assume, and it's not always the right assumption, but most people assume that when somebody is working in this field, that there is an understanding about food and nutrition and how that relates to body size and shape. And so you found yourself in this, you know, situation where you were feeling, you know, like your body was changing. It was happening Mm -hmm. to you. Like you had no control, which is how most of us feel when Mm -hmm. we experience it. And what was kind of the intersection of that with your work? So yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. And, um, so yeah, I, uh, as I was going through, you know, some of the initial, uh, changes and perimenopause, I was working as a public health nutritionist. And so while kind of like weight and, you know, sort of individual medical nutrition is, was not what I was doing, I still, um, you know, was a dietitian, and uh, so certainly would did have that training, and so it was. I guess there's a lot of shame attached to it. To be honest, like it is, it's a total yeah. shame storm because you you know you feel like people are judging you uh, for either you know maybe not knowing what you're supposed to do or not doing what you're supposed to do as a good dietitian. Um, so yeah. And then my other work is, uh, with a health and wellness company, uh, called Arbon, and we, and certainly with that, um, I will say in both, um, you know, both dietetics and in Arbon, 
my sort of uh, experience is not weight centric. So it's very much about, you know, choosing, like making healthier choices, that kind of a thing. That's sort of where, uh, you know, the philosophy that I and the people that I worked work with and worked with uh, worked under. But so it's more so the outside, like the people like, so I, I never really worried so much about the people that are in my close circle. But it's more like general, you know, acquaintances, general population, yeah. like, they would just have no idea or probably be very confused um, to see a dietitian and uh, somebody struggling. And I even hate to say struggling with weight because I actually refuse to struggle. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. And so, I, and I, I bring it up only because also being someone who works in, you know, the health and wellness, um, you know, industry, I guess you could call it. There are so many assumptions that we make about people mm -hmm. that are incorrect and it's such a good reminder that you cannot judge someone's health by what they look like. You cannot, you can't know how someone eats, how often they move their body, what their general state of health is simply by looking at them because weight is not a proxy exactly. for health. And, you know, I think that, um, well, I know again, from having also been in this area that it is, it, it's almost a plague of the health and wellness culture to assume that everything can be treated and prevented with yes. food and exercise. And so regardless of the condition, regardless of, you know, whatever medical state the person is in, it's assumed that if you work in this area, you have not done mm -hmm. your job well, or you aren't good at your job if you are not the picture yes. of health. And I think that that really needs to be broken down because as we know, you know, weight is not a proxy for health and health isn't always something we can control in the way that diet and wellness culture mm -hmm. led us to believe. You can do quote unquote, all the right yes. things and still end up with a medical diagnosis that wellness culture assumes can be prevented or treated with diet and lifestyle, mm -hmm. which it can't be. And on the flip side, you can do all the wrong things and live to be a hundred. So <laughs> and, so, and that's the really frustrating yeah, part. And, you know, <laughs> For so many of us. <laughs> yeah, it is frustrating. Like most things, I mean, you know, 70% of our body mm -hmm. size and shape is genetic. And the changes that we go through hormonally in perimenopause and menopause that lead to body changes, specifically where our body stores fat, um, is probably the biggest one. And, and also some of the maybe insulin resistance that we experience the further we get into menopause and postmenopause, those changes are pre-programmed mm -hmm. into your DNA. They're not because of what you have for breakfast. So, you know, I think that the, one of the take home messages that I would like women to hear is that regardless of the age and stage that you're at, these changes happen to 80 plus percent of us. And there are things that we can do to manage maybe the health risks and consequences of menopause and postmenopause. But that doesn't mean that we have to make weight the focus mm -hmm. of those efforts. We can really separate out weight and health. And that might even be more important in this age and stage of life because um, as I think anybody over 40 knows, even if you had found things that worked 
before, and I'm saying works, you can't see it, but in quotations, chances are Mm -hmm. they're not working now. And that's where, you know, I think a lot of people, regardless of whether they they're working in this industry or not, feel really frustrated because it feels like something's broken. Like, you know, why isn't this working anymore? I used to do all these things and it worked. Why isn't it? And for me, I think it wouldn't be so, I, I don't even know. So I never, and I think we've talked about this, like it's, I've never really, um, kind of consciously gone on a diet, like a weight loss diet. I have certainly, you know, adjusted eating habits, tried on different things just to see how they made me feel. I looked at things as sort of an experiment, like how will I feel if I don't eat gluten or how will I feel if I, um, you know, eat this many times a day and, and things like that. Uh, but what I think overall in, um, you know, perimenopause and menopause, is just that feeling of like your body, you just don't feel at home in your body anymore. It's just like, even, um, so it's not for me anyway. Uh, it's not so much like the eating pattern or the diet or whatever isn't quote unquote working anymore. It's that my body is just doing its own thing that I don't recognize. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a feeling we can all relate to. I I've certainly felt that way and I've heard it hundreds of times. So I can, I can be sure that someone listening can relate to that, which is the whole point of sharing these stories is to make these experiences a little bit more relatable so that, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't feel alone in them because no two experiences are alike, but there are so many things that we do all experience. And I think that feeling of not feeling at home in your body is, is relatable. Thank you for sharing that. So what would you like women to know about going into early menopause? What would you tell your younger self? What advice would you give so yourself? So I would I would definitely tell my younger self to be aware that these are the things that you can expect. You can expect that your periods are going to change in terms of frequency and duration and um, quantity. Uh, and that your, I would tell myself that uh, your body is going to change in ways that you don't have control over. Um, and to continue to, like, I, I think one of the things that I feel like I could have been someone who really got sucked into diet culture for so many different reasons. Um, but because I, I was fortunate enough to have background in health at every size philosophies and intuitive eating mindfulness, those kinds of things. I did give myself and my body grace. So I would, I mean, I, I think I could, but I also struggled. So I think honestly, one of the biggest things would be to, uh, to seek out support sooner. Yeah. 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 And, and I I think it needs to be a public health issue. So, you know, just like we have resources for, you know, kids going through puberty and for moms, you know, first time moms and breastfeeding support and all that kind of stuff. I really think that we need to have another, you know, kind of echelon of support for women who are entering menopause because Mm -hmm. menopause lasts for a decade. Um, We put a whole lot more time and effort into supporting pregnancy, which is nine months. And, you know, the, it, we, we are living longer 
than we would have, you know, 100 or 200 years ago. And, you know, many women are living into their eighth and ninth decades. And that means that they're going to spend potentially a third or more of their life in post-menopause. And that needs to be something that we're preparing women for, because otherwise they're going to end up not having the quality of life that they want to. Um, and we're, you know, we're going to struggle to support the health of this aging population of women who want to be totally. healthy and well. So I always ask people at the end, you know, what, what do you think is the missing ingredient in midlife? Uh, probably community. I think the community around this change, because so one of the other things that I do in my volunteer life is I am a volunteer La Leche League leader. And I, so I support moms with breastfeeding and, um, you know, have been involved in, in prenatal support for breastfeeding as well as, as after the baby's here. And I think that community piece is so, so important, uh, when you are in that phase, um, but there's nothing, again, there's no infrastructure. There's no, like, it just, there's nothing there. Like there is, um, and I mean, arguably there's not enough for pregnant and breast pregnancy and breastfeeding either, but there's nothing for perimenopause and menopause. Yeah. There isn't, I mean, most women are, um, you know, I, I've read statistics that women are, are misdiagnosed mm-hmm. for four to five years before someone confirms, yeah, you're in perimenopause, you know, they have been seeking help for their symptoms, which in hindsight are clearly perimenopausal, but because it's not on the radar of many healthcare practitioners, it really mm-hmm. does fall through the cracks. So I, I agree with you hundred percent community needs to be, I think, part of our plan. Definitely. Sure. Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that it will help many people who are listening to it. And, um, you know, sharing stories is what these story sessions are all about. You're very welcome, Jen. Thank Thank you. you. Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Midlife Feast. You can find a link to my group program, Beyond the Scale, and anything else that I've got on the go in the show notes. You can also find a link to download my free Menopause Nutrition for Undieters guide, which includes some of my favorite recipes to help you implement gentle nutrition. And as always, come hang out with me on Instagram at menopause.nutritionist. It's where I love to connect with people who are in this stage of life and are looking to try different instead of harder.